This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. A buyer's experience with a sales rep can make or break a deal. In a recent study, we found that 36% of losing vendors could have won the deal by making a change during the evaluation process. Most often, buyers attributed the loss to something in the sales experience, even above price or product feature. But when you ask a sales rep, they'll likely attribute most of their losses to something beyond their control, like price or that that ever elusive missing product feature or timing. The experience your sales rep creates with the buyer is crucial. So how can you empower your reps to create the right experiences for your buyers? How can you help them build trust, differentiate from competitors, and really demonstrate value through the sales process. Chewing on this topic, this idea with me today is Kevin Dorsey, an incredible SaaS sales consultant and advisor who's trained thousands of leaders and reps over his career. Kevin, welcome to the show, man. Oh yeah, my man. I love the topic. I was like, let's let's do this. So appreciate you having me. It should be fun. All right, my friends. So before we get into the meat of the conversation. Everybody wants to hear, our listeners want to hear about you. Who are you? Tell us about you, your experience. Give us, give us the real, real. Oh boy. Who am I? Um, well, I'm Kevin Dorsey. Everybody calls me KD unless I get out of line. That's when the Kevin normally comes out. <laughs> um, I, I am a son. I am a brother. I am a husband. I'm a father. I'm a proud black man and black sales leader. Um, I'm passionate about this this thing that we call business and sales and especially the people side of it. Um, so I got into sales for a different reason than most. Like I actually got into sales coming out of college because I thought sales was the most secure job I could have. And the reason for that was not because, like most people think like, oh, if you know how to sell, you always have the job. To me, it was actually the opposite. I was like, there are always sales jobs. So even if I'm like not good at this, I can always find a job. Like there's always sales jobs, no matter what. That was something I had noticed like in job ads. I was like, all right, like, let me, let me try this, you know? And so sold, you know, knockoff cut code knives. I've sold insurance, XM radios, you know, then I got into some multi-level marketing, then into personal training. And so it's just been a journey. And really over the last, you know, 12 years, I've been building teams, right? So like I'm the, I'm the builder. I come in and take it from, you know, zero people to 150 people, you know, in a very short period of time and kind of lay like the, the foundation to do things. And so I've seen success there over the last, you know, 10 years. And, you know, now I get to try to teach and coach people how to do those things. So, okay. I, I gotta know, um, I got, I gotta understand something here. So, um, there's a major difference between selling the knockoff Cutco knives versus where you're, what you're doing today. But I got to, you know, I, I've, I've followed a somewhat similar path, right? You start in a certain place, then you grow and you become, and you know, over some years you transform into whatever it is that you're going to be, you know, through your journey, you know, give me a, a key learning from your, from your journey, right? You, your, your Katie's journey. What's something you've learned and throughout all of that, all of those different sales jobs. That people are mostly the same. 
And that is, I think, one of the biggest misses more often not for people in selling is they forget that we're selling to people. So we are incredibly complex, but also very simple when you break down what 90% of humans want and what motivates 90% of humans to do any type of behavior or what prevents them from making a change, right? And so understanding that you're always selling to a person and the more you can learn about people, right? Like, you know, I read a lot of sales books, which is fine, but most of my bookshelves, right? Obviously I'm on the road right now, so you can't see my background. I've got you know, hundreds of books in my office, hundreds of books on my phone, hundreds of books on Audible. The vast majority of them are about people. How do people make decisions? How do emotions run us? How do our brains work, right? How does fear impact us, right? So the more you learn about people, the better you'll be at selling. So I think that was one of my biggest learning lessons because I've been in a lot of industries, right? Selling to, you know, a, a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, still a person, just like Debbie sitting across from me buying a personal training program, still a person. Selling to those people is actually very, very similar. And when you understand that, it actually simplifies this thing in a big way. Mm. Oh man. So we've been, there's been some interesting shows as of late, my friend. So we, we've been talking about sales intelligence, but ultimately everybody I talk with, it doesn't matter if we're talking about uh, sales enablement or product marketing or sales coaching, everybody comes back to the same idea that we're talking with human to human right now in the digital era, uh, as we're transforming into, you know, digital transformation, digital buying experience, the, the amount of time that the salesperson often will get will be less and less and less, right? You're getting less of the person's time, but it's still a human being on the other side of the, on the other side of the phone, on the other side of the desk, whatever. So I love that insight. Thank you for sharing. And frankly, that's at the heart of, of the matter. So with that in mind, the fact that we're selling to another human being, let's talk about what impacts people right? So what, what things impact the sales experience for that human that you're selling to? Well, I mean, geez, I mean, it breaks down to so much of it, but really it's like what impacts the experience is what do I want? That's the first thing, right? And understanding what the individual you're speaking to wants is the, the core of, of all of it, right? is what do I want? And that's what sets the stage for the experience. Now you have different types of people and there are different ways that people like to make decisions, right? But this is also the other big part within the sales process is emotional versus rational experience, right? Are you giving me an emotional experience or are you just giving me a logical, rational experience? And this is also where I think a lot of people go wrong in the sales process is it's so logic-based. It's so logic-based that we miss on the emotion, right? Like think about it. And these are the things that we enjoy. Talk about making an enjoyable experience. How great would a movie be if you walked in, screen rolls up and it says, okay, Ryan had a problem. He solved it. The end. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much. I'm not paying, I'm not paying the, you know, hundreds of dollars these days to watch that movie. Right. All movies are that. There's a problem, they fix it. That, that's a movie. So the sales process, people treat the same way. You have this problem, let me fix it. And they miss out on the emotional 
journey, right? To take someone through on the emotional side, because that's how we make decisions is emotionally. And so like, I'll pause there, but like, that's where it starts is knowing what this person wants, but then remembering the emotional side of this process, because we remember emotions. That's a big part is you remember someone that makes you feel something versus someone who just told you something. So KD, why, why do we miss this? You know, why, why do salespeople skip that and go straight to the logical, the scientific, the data? I mean, why? What they were told to do. Like most of this is, is top down for, for so much. And this is not to call out any of the methodologies, but like sales is a, is, you know, it's just this ongoing, like passed down knowledge industry, mm. right? Like, okay, someone did it this way. And then they taught their people. Those people became leaders. Those leaders taught their people. Those people become leaders. And, th- and it's just this, we are passing down things, right? So if you think about like some of the old school, like methodologies, like a spin, right? Like there's, there's no emotion in that. There's no storytelling in that, right? There's that it misses, right? This is what people have been taught to do because it does make sense. You go, if I can just prove the value, people will buy. But that's not how our brains work. And that that's again why I shift most of my reading, like how our brains work, how we actually make decisions. We make decisions emotionally. It's actually very, very interesting. The part of the brain that regulates emotions, the amig I always mess up the words like the amygdala, the amygdala. Whatever y'all can go Google Amy it. G Dalla. That's how I remember it. Amygdala. There we go. Amygdala. There we go. Right. If it is too damaged, an individual can't make decisions. And it's crazy because you can ask them what they should do. You can ask them what makes sense, and they can give you all the logical reasons why they should do something, but then they can't actually make the decision. We make decisions emotionally. When's the last time you got that in your sales onboarding? Right. So that we're just not teaching people to do this. Right. We were never taught these things. I think that's the first part. And then secondarily, the buyer drives this a little bit, too, because they don't always think that way. Either. Just they want to know, like, well, how much is it going to cost and how much I got it? You know what they're going to give me? Those are the questions that they ask. The best salespeople know how to take those questions and take those process and take them on an emotional journey throughout it. That's then how the prospect remembers you. Mm. And that's how they, there's that something there's like, I don't know, there's just something about Ryan and what they're doing. I have a better feeling for, even if, and notice that I have a better feeling about, I have a gut feeling. This feels better, right? That's there. And again, that's people, whether it's a CFO, right? Cause they're more logical, whether that's a CEO, a CMO, a CRO, they're still people, right? So that's, that's the part of this. No one's teaching people how to do this the right way, in my opinion. So I love this uh, conversation. Let me, let me layer in. So in our research at primary intelligence, we found that understanding business needs is the number one behavior. Number one by, by orders of magnitude. I think it's like three X, something like that. Understanding business needs is one of the most important things that a salesperson can do, but it's not just understanding the spreadsheet needs. You know, I, we, I call them the on spreadsheet and the off spreadsheet needs, right? So you got the on sheet needs. Those are, does it have this functionality? Does it fit within this pricing band or price range? You know, how does it stack up versus the competitor and ease of use? All of these things are important, but they're box checks. And if those things are sixes, it largely comes down to the people connection, the ability 
the ability of the salesperson to understand those needs and connect with the person. Now, and we hear it all the time in our research. We hear things, oh, well, they were just a better fit. You know, the, the products, they were about the same. The pricing, oh, they were close enough. You know, there was no, you know, you know more, uh, tangible difference between the two and the price of the product. Uh, but it just felt like this was a better company. It felt like they were a better fit. They, they just kind of got us. That goes back to that gut that you were talking about. Are you you telling I want to jump on, I want to yeah, jump yeah, on go, this real quick. You, you, said, you said a word here that I think is it's important, right? Needs. Needs. Right? We buy things all the time that we don't need. All the time. Yeah. Nobody needs a Mercedes S63 AMG. Would you tell my wife that? Because I think that's the exact car. Bring, bring her in, right? But actually, I'm not going to because, again, life's actually about what we feel, right? It's the, the enjoyment. There's no reason not to get it. But we don't need most of the yeah. things no, yeah, that yeah. we buy, right? So business need, you need to know, understand what they're hoping to get out of it. But again, if it were that, truthfully, if it were that simple, if it were that simple, just here's your business need, here's how we align. One, it would always be about price. It'd always be about price, which you already called out is not right. One of the bigger like things to go through, but we, sales wouldn't be that hard. Mm. You have a business need. We feel it. Here's the contract. Like, this is why it's a feeling. It's an understanding. It's a connection, right? So I just wanted to jump in there because I love business need. Yes, we need to understand it, but we buy things all the time that we don't need. We buy things that we want. Yeah. Okay, so if this is the case, uh, are, are we saying, Kevin, are you saying, are, are we devoid of the data? Are we devoid of ROI or do we avoid those things or, you know, help me balance this out? So, no, we don't avoid, but we have to craft them into a story that also, you know, it sounds like you, you all do a lot of research. You also know that most buyers don't believe any of the ROI that the salesperson comes up with, period. Right. That's also been in studies of like the ROI calculators and how that affects the sales process and everything else. Like they have to go and like what's interesting and um, you probably have this in your background is no one ever thinks about what the buyer has to do to make a decision. Right. Most of the time they have to go back and convince themselves that this is the right decision. Right. And do they feel good about it? Damn, there's that word again. Right. It's how do they feel about it? What's the feeling on it? So, no, you're not devoid of the ROI. You're not devoid of like saying, hey, this is the impact it can have. Right. But you have to connect it back to them as a person emotionally and logically. You have to do both. Right. What happens if this occurs? Okay. So, let's say we fill this out whatever the product is, who knows? Like, all right, so let's say we bring your downtime down 32%. Like, how would that feel day to day? What would that allow you to do? What would that free you up for? How happy would that make your customers? How happy would you that make your boss, right? Like you have to connect it back to them as a person on the emotional side of it. But again, if it like anyone like, listen, I want you to think about it. if it were that easy, this would not be a hard role at all just to convince someone that there's a business case for it, right? There's, there's another level to that. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we know it because if we're just as simple as ROI, we close every deal. There's yeah. always a return. Yeah, that's, that's easy, right? 
price product fit here out the door you go uh selling widgets at that point okay so let, let, let you've you've coached lot, lots of people throughout your career all right so with in you know with connecting with people emotionally what areas do you see reps struggle with the most so it's, a, it's a few places let's say the the biggest is just not asking the right questions right so I, again a lot of this comes back to how they were taught they've been taught you know spin they've been taught Sandler. they've been taught challenger they've been taught um you know bant medic med pick like all these you know anim all these different things right but all those again are very one sales focus budget authority need timing has nothing to do with the prospect and making them want what we have right spin comes closer challenges around education sandler kind of pulls in like the full process but first starts with the question are we asking those second layer questions those third layer questions are we asking the impact questions right both again like rationally and emotionally impact how this impact your day-to-day -day? how this impact the company oh man the company this cool how that impacts you now we've got company and person benefits right so first it's the questions that sales reps are asking tend to not get into this side of things then the second and we all know this sales reps tend to not listen they're not really listening they miss things all the time right so it, so it can sound like this where i say it's like a competitor right it's like oh so like who do you use and the prospect says you know oh you know we use Superbiz. now what did you hear there if you were really listening uh we use Superbiz. what's the emotional side of that response not very deep right i mean it's kind of eh, very surface level not not right. not super down with Superbiz. right now a great salesperson would hear that and go hold on ryan hold on you didn't exactly sound enthused about that right what's what's going on there what's happening how close how how often are you talking with them like do you have a good like you could hear it whereas most reps they hear we use super biz and they immediately go into well here's why we're better than super biz right yeah, here's feature, why we're feature a better, comparison let me let me give right. you the breakdown here's why we're a better business case yeah Right. And then that's also too why so often competitor to competitor, so often it does turn in just to a pricing battle because that's the only logical thing that you can compare price for price. Right. So that's the second is like you have to ask the right questions to set up the things that we want. But then, two, you really got to listen. And then the last one is storytelling like storytelling, telling great stories. Right. Because again, we remember stories. We remember stories. And again, this is also, if you think about how language progressed, how language progressed throughout our history as a species, there have been stories told for thousands of years. You can remember stories, right? You can remember them. Whereas the facts and figures, the logics and the actions, we don't remember those. So telling great stories is also something that connects to the emotional side of the sale right telling good customer stories not case studies y'all again case studies are logic ryan was a vp and he got 342 percent roi yeah, the, the right. Right. yeah no it's like ryan actually funny enough what you just said there ryan actually you ryan also used super biz ryan was a vp over at you know super dunk whatever right and like very similar right so he had like 200 people uh on his org and like every single week 
forecasts were inaccurate. He was chasing down his reps to try to get feedback, right? It was just frustrating. The reps hated it. He hated it. He was stressed out over it. And so he decided to make a change. Like eventually he's like, yo, enough is enough. He needs to change something. So like we started having conversations. We learned about his use case. We learned about how his team functioned, how he liked to make decisions and how he wanted to see the data. And he moved over to us from Superbiz. We gave him the support that we promised. But at the end of the day, what ended up happening, his forecast improved. So he had more confidence when speaking to the board. His stress levels went down because he wasn't chasing all of these numbers. I mean, that's what we do. Okay, so using this example that you used, and I love it because it's it, it's easy to understand and kind of everybody gets it, right? Almost anybody who's been in sales has been there where they they know they've blown through that stop sign, right? Somebody gave that example of eh, super busy, you know, kind of, and, and they just, they didn't get to the emotional connection. Um, let's say you have, let's say you have, okay? Let, let's say we have blown through a stop sign. How would you coach somebody to, to come back, you know, and I mean, come back because you've blown through one stop sign. That doesn't mean that there aren't going to be other hooks, other opportunities, other ways that you can engage with someone. Right. So how do you come back after you've blown through a stop sign? Like, like that, and you, you have, you, you heard what they said, but you didn't feel them. How do you come back mm -hmm. from that? So you address it on the very next call, if you mm -hmm. can. Right. And so it depends kind of on how and when you found out that you missed it. Right. Because you can't like if you're in a long sales cycle, it's a four month cycle and you're three months down the road and you're like, oh, shoot, like I've totally missed on emotion here. Sorry, y'all. It's a little bit too late. Right. Like that's really hard to go back to that's already three months later right so it's making sure we're checking in regularly on this one of the best ways i've actually found to do this especially now in in the digital is video follow-up mm. right so we leveraged video big time in the follow-up process because again it allows you to convey emotion right so if we use this very specific example say the call was on monday you reviewed it like with your manager on Tuesday or you listen to the call and you go like, oh, geez. Oh, I missed it. I missed it. It was right there and I missed it. When you pull up an email and you record a really quick video, it says, hey, Ryan, I was listening back to our call, right? So I could get all our notes together to make sure to set up for our next call. And something really struck me as I was listening back. When I asked you about blank, the response actually was kind of like a, like, could you give me a little bit more insight there? Like, why was that the, the response? Like, where, where was that coming from? Like, you ask it via video because it allows you to convey the emotion, right? That's the beauty of video follow-up is you can control the tone. Whereas if that were just an email, hey, Ryan, I noticed when we were, like, how they read it could be any type of tonality of, like, I noticed you didn't sound completely enthused when you mentioned Superbiz. What was that all about? Like that can be read in any sort of way. Whereas again, emotionally, right? That video, a quick snippet video allows you to convey the tone, allows you to convey what you're actually going for there. And that's all you can do is, you know, reach back out and make the ask, whether that's another call, whether that's via video, so you can correct your tone to make sure it's heard the right way. But it's also owning it as a rep saying, I miss this. I missed this. I, I didn't hear it. And I'd love the opportunity to go back and address that 
a little bit because I think there's some things there that if I better understood, I could better help you get what you actually want, right? And you own that as a salesperson. No, but but hold on a second, KD. You you're talking about you're talking about admission of you know of an error. You're talking about being vulnerable. You're talking about owning a mistake that you did in front of somebody who who you're trying to sell to. Is that not dangerous? Is that not scary? Tell me, tell me about that. Why is that good? Why is that bad? I mean, it's good because again, you're a human. You're a human, right? So again, the question you got to ask yourself in real life, not in business life, in real life, do you trust someone who always tries to be perfect? They have no flaws. They're just mm. perfect all the time. Do you trust mm. them? I mean, it, it maybe contextually or situationally, but broadly, probably not. Right. Right. It's a trust thing, right? You trust people who are more open with where they have messed up, where they have gotten things wrong. It actually builds trust, not degrades it. And again, if you look at how we try to sell to people and how we try to market to people, it's always perfection based. We do all these things super well. We're the best at this or the best at that. Look at all these case studies. Look at all these things. It actually causes distrust. Again, studied, proven. There, oh, it's called. I think it's called the five star, five star living, or it's something. I can't remember the name of the book. I'll have to go back and find it. But it talks about like how reviews, right? If you put two companies side by side, one has a hundred five star reviews. One has a hundred reviews and it's 4.7. Which one do you think people prefer? I'm, I'm based on our conversation. I'm going to assume the 4.7. Okay. Now, again, that's our conversation. I want you to think, think about yourself real quick. Don't, don't project this out to the world. Think about you real quick. As an individual, you see a company that has 100 and they're all five stars. You see a company that has a hundred and it's 4.75. Which one do you trust? more? I, yeah, I think I'll probably, you know, that that's fair. I think I would probably gravitate towards somebody who's the, the organization that's not perfect simply uh, because I, I would then trust that the reviews are probably real, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking that they went out and purchased a bunch of people to come in and do, do these reviews for me to give me the perfect review, right? Because nobody's perfect. That's Nailed fair. It. That that's where your brain goes. You see perfection, you go, that's not real because you know, perfection isn't possible, yeah. right? We actually, look away from the one that appears to be perfect because we don't believe it. Same idea here. You admit a flaw. That's you having your, you know, your two-star review. Like I messed that up there, right? I lost a deal. I missed out on the opportunity to help somebody because I didn't dig in deep enough on what they were currently doing. And I don't want that to happen here. Mm. Right? Like these are the things where, again, that builds trust. It builds trust. Cause also then too, I kind of posted about this a little bit earlier this week around this idea of like, you know, the fear of the unknown or the fear of looking bad keeps us in the suffering of the now. Like, okay, I missed it. I missed it. So, but the fear of looking bad makes me go, okay, well, I'm just not going to address it. But then what that's going to do is guarantee I don't get the deal. I'm not going to get the deal because I'm afraid to look bad. Mm. That, that ruins the entire process there. Right. Yeah. So like, okay, I'd rather not look bad, but I'd rather lose the deal or hope it wasn't that big of a deal. And I'm not going to 
lose it, even though I know I missed all these things. Like it's just backwards thinking. Yeah. And, and you, you, you're lying to yourself. If you think you, you aren't going to lose the deal, if you don't address mm-hmm. it, you're almost guaranteed to lose the deal. If you don't you address it, guaranteeing it. Right. But because we are afraid to look bad or because we're, we don't even catch it, we'd rather sit. It's like, we'd rather suffer in what we know than suffer in what we don't. Mm. And that is one of the biggest, again, like drivers around the status quo, same to our buyers. The buyers would rather suffer with what they know than risk suffering with something that they don't. The number one competitor in every deal is the status quo. Every salesperson here listening, and you know this damn well, have lost deals to someone who the business case, and it made complete sense. You're like, why are you, you told me this, you told me this, like you, you hate your current supplier. You told me that they're awful, but you're still going to stay. I say, yeah, like, it's just, you know, they just don't have the capacity right now. They're, oh, you know, we're just, we're just going to stick with them. We're going to give them another chance. That is the fear of the unknown. They're afraid of what the unknown will look like. They're afraid of how much work it'll be. They're afraid it won't work and what that will mean to them. And you have to address those fears in the buying process is another thing. Again, emotionally, salespeople do a really bad job of addressing fears they paint just this perfect picture. Everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be great. You're going to love it. They don't address the underlying fears of why people don't make decisions, right? Why they don't change. And you need to address those things. Help me unpack that a little further, man. Cause I think, I think we're cooking with gas here, man. I think this is like the root. I think we're at the root cause of some of the problems of, of, of the sales process. Why, why don't sales reps, either know how, or if they know how, why don't they address the fear of the customer, the buyer? Yeah. So again, they're just not taught how to, right? Like sales, like this is what's hilarious about sales, man. It's like, we are a ragtag bunch of misfits, right? Who are all self-taught. Did you take sales in high school? No, I sure did. They didn't. I, I, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> did you take disco 201 in college? No, I missed that course, man. I, I don't, I, you know, I do not. Uh, um, 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 emotion-based decision-making 432. Shit. Man, I, what college you go? I didn't have any of these courses available to me. Exactly. None of us did. Right. That's what's hilarious about this is none of us got any of that. Right. And so there's this underline of just like, we, that we haven't been taught these things. Right. And the leaders haven't been taught these things, but I, I'll, I will always press on leaders. of like, are you actually seeking them? out right are you trying to find these things out so you can embrace your team but there's two things that you need to address in the sales process why people buy and why people don't and so often we focus as much as we can on why people buy but it's always on the logic side we never really address why people don't change and so there's there's reasons why people basically why we buy anything there's like 10 or 11 reasons why people buy anything in life And there's also like seven, eight reasons why we don't change something. And so what I do when I map out my sales process, when I map out my messaging, when I'm writing cadences, is first I go through the why people do buy and how can I connect my product to those reasons. And then I also flip to the other side of like why people don't change. What are those assumptions that they'll have about my product and how can I address those Right? And so if we have time, we could go into those things because those are the two buckets that you need to address in the sales process is, okay, 
what are the reasons why someone does buy right emotionally but then what are the reasons why people don't change and how well am i addressing those things in the sales process mm. okay so drawing this back to to we've talked about a lot about reps right let's, let's come back to sales leaders what can sales leaders do kd uh, to empower their reps to improve the the sales experience right to improve that connection that we've been talking about that that off spreadsheet that that emotional need that humans have to connect with one another what can sales leaders do to empower their reps well, i mean the, the first way to improve empowerment is to improve involvement right so it's actually involving the reps in this process of going hey y'all like let's actually sit down and talk about this what would make a great experience for our buyer? I was never asked that as a salesperson ever. Mm. Not once did a manager earlier sit me down and go, how can we make this better for the buyer? It starts with that question. How can we make this process better for the buyer? Not how we can be better at the sales process. Just again, you asked me earlier, like where people miss, it's just, we ask the wrong questions. So if you sat down and said, how could we make this better for the buyer? You're going to get a different answer than how can we improve our sales process? Mm. So it starts with the question, but then asking the team the question and involving them in it, right? Saying, okay, how could we make this better for the buyer? What would make a better buyer experience? What would make them enjoy spending time with us? What would make them look forward to our calls, right? You mentioned the word value earlier on in this call right and what we always you know feel like you know provide value what people seem to forget about values they have to be able to use it for it to be valuable sending a case study is not valuable if they can't use it right how are they supposed to use that information right so where are we actually providing value people listen i actually really want you to think about this where in the sales process are you actually giving them something that they can use to make their life better if they can't use it, it has no value, right? So it starts with the question, starts then next to the involvement, right? But then it is, it's going, okay. Um, and actually we can, we can go into this a little bit of like, all right, why people buy things to make money, save money, save time, avoid effort, escape mental pain, physical pain, embarrassment, risk, or failure, get more comfort, achieve greater cleanliness, better health hygiene, gain praise, feel more loved, increase popularity, social status, and joy. And it's funny, I do this like in a conference room, I do this in speaking, I'm like, give me a different one, a reason why. You're like, oh, because well, I'm hungry. Yep, physical discomfort, next. Right, like, oh, well, because I, I need a car. Why do you need a car? Well, I need a car so I can get to a job. Why do you need a job? Well, to make money, cool, make money, next. It falls into these buckets and saying, okay, how can we connect our product to each of those lines? How does our product bring joy? Let's talk about that. How does our product help them get better social status or popularity? Let's talk about that. But the flip side is also true. Why people don't take action. Fear, pain of change, uncertainty, past experience, ego, right? Like admitting weakness or admitting being wrong. No need, lack of understanding. Mm -hmm. So notice how my questions change here. What do the customers not understand about our product? that causes them to not move forward, okay? What are the past experiences maybe they've had with a product 
like this. What do you think the customers are afraid of when it comes to our product? What do you think they're afraid of? What do you think they're uncertain of? How big do they believe the pain of change will be? When you start asking those questions as a sales leader to your team, the answers you're going to start to get improve. And then that is how you address the buying cycle or the sales process. That, you know, full circle we've been talking about. That's a buyer experience. I'm getting what I want over here, the make money, the status, the popularity, the whatever, avoid risk. But I'm also, they're helping me avoid the things I'm afraid of over here. What are they afraid of when it comes to your product? How hard do they think it's going to be to change all of that? And you're addressing that too. That's when tables out, all the spreadsheets are out. It's you, me, Johnny talking through like who we want to move forward with. It's like, you know, I just have a better feeling about KD and over at Superbiz. I just have a better feeling here, right? They really addressed, you know, they're going to support us more in the onboarding. We know we're going to get extra support here. Like we can map all of that out. Like we talked about some of the fears. That to me is how you do this the sales process. So KD, man, um, th- this is, this is a lot to chew on here at the end, especially right here at the end of the, at the show, man, that there's a lot to chew. There's a lot of really good, helpful, tactical, usable, uh, impactful uh, ideas um, and, and challenges that you just laid down. Um, let, let's boil it down. And I hate, and I hate doing this because, you know, wrapping up a, uh, the complexity of humans and in, in a conversation into a single you know point of, of focus is like impossible but you know let, let's let's john wick this thing let's let's try anyway um what's what's this final piece of advice kd so you know what would you tell our listeners today you know what, what's some advice they could walk away with today that one thing if if i'm giving one thing i would say rewind this 90 seconds and listen to why people do buy and why people don't and start connecting the dots with your product. That's, that would be my recommendation because that is, again, from the very beginning as we wrap, that's how people make decisions. And the better you understand how people make decisions, the better your messaging will be, the better your sales process. So I would say rewind it, 90 seconds or 120 seconds, whatever it is, listen to the reasons why people do, listen to why people don't, and start addressing those things in your sales process. KD, man, great meeting you. Thanks for being on the show today. Uh, best of luck and, and safe travels out there. Appreciate you, man. And listeners, for more from Kevin Dorsey, or as we call him, KD, and Primary Intelligence, make sure to check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time.